0: In the portion of Nehemiah that we've reached now, God is in the process of doing something in the hearts of the people. And if you'd have asked me what I knew about the book of Nehemiah before we did this study, to my shame, I would have said it was about rebuilding the wall and people with trowels in one hand and swords in the other and Sambalat and Tobiah and, and uh, they built the wall, but not much beyond that. Yeah, to my shame. But um, thank God that we've had this study and really gone through it in depth. And um, sometimes when we read the Word, especially when we're reading, say, like a whole book or or be going through, um, maybe kind of touching on um, parts of the Bible that we're not necessarily familiar with, we get these lists of names. And we can sometimes be so kind of put off or daunted by it that we kind of skip through and we don't look through any of the detail. But there's detail in the names as well. Amen. So we'll be going through that, um, a little bit into that today, but also um, on the next time. But we come to Nehemiah 11, and in those first few verses, read by Brother Andrew, um, it speaks of how the people begin to go through the process of populating the city Jerusalem. So Jerusalem had people that were already living within. These people were the leaders and the people that served in the temple. You know, the temple was there from before Nehemiah got the call. um, And if you read Ezra, we read the story of how uh, the temple was rebuilt and restored. Nehemiah came to build the wall. So there were people already living in the city who would serve in the temple but any city that is worthy of being called a city needs people, needs a population. So in order for the city to function and to be fully restored there's a need for people to live there to trade there and to perform the functions that allow a city to survive. So we've been through the stage of rebuilding the wall, but the people were needed. The people were the lifeblood that were needed to bring this city back to life. So the plight of Jerusalem, the holy city as it's described in the text, was not just to be restored in and of itself. It was dependent upon God first and foremost, but there was also a need for the city to be inhabited and if we go back to Nehemiah 7 it speaks about this and it speaks about when Nehemiah begins to consider this prospect it says in verse 4 it says the city was wide and large but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt that's Nehemiah 7 verse 4 so the city is big it's wide it's large it's walled What can you imagine? There's hardly anybody in there. So it's still vulnerable, isn't it? In order for a city to be safe, it needs people who are watching out. In order for a city to thrive and prosper, it needs people living within it, who are trading and living out their lives within it. So God is using this time of rebuilding, not only to rebuild the structure but also to rebuild the people. And we touched on this over the last few weeks about the, the people having read the word and having been convicted of their shortfalls, of their sin. They come into covenant with God and they give themselves over to God. Nathan touched on this in the previous weeks. So that the people gave themselves over to God. And reading from Chapter 10, verses 28, 29, it says, The rest of the people, the priests, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. So the people are kind of coming to this period of covenant where they've given themselves back to God, given themselves back to his purposes and back to his lordship in their lives. And this is great. But there's consequence to this. God is the best person. He's the only person that we should be giving our lives to. Because he made us. He made us for his purposes. And he knows what's best for us. Even though we might have an idea of what we want to do with our lives. God's purposes are what is best. And they are the reasons why he created us. We find our purpose, in the will of God for us. But sometimes what God wants and what we want doesn't always match up, does it? It doesn't always follow. Sometimes God's plan for our lives doesn't match the path that we want to take. There are situations and circumstances that are at times out of our control but God uses that which we cannot control to shape us and to fill his purpose in our lives. I'm minded of this um, verse from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 it says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. He made us with his hands, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared before we were even born. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? God has prepared good works for us before we were even born, that we should walk in them. Thank God for purpose. Amen. So the people come to this point where they are met with this dilemma that the city is unpopulated. they need to populate it. And so the word says that they cast lots. So the rest of the people, it says, people that were outside of Jerusalem, that lived in the villages outside of the city, cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. So the people cast lots. And in the secular world, we would say that this added an element of chance to the selection process. And I don't want us to get too confused. This is not gambling. (laughs) This isn't a license to go and mark the lottery or anything like that. (laughs) <laughs> but if you read through scripture, casting lots was um, a method in biblical times whereby people would um, seek the will of God in a certain situation or God's, um, what God was doing in a situation. So there's a couple of examples here. Um, in Joshua, in the book of Joshua... Um, some of the tribes of Israel cast lots to decide their portion of land within the promised land so that allocation of land was decided by lot in Acts 1 26 it says the disciples cast lots to determine who would replace Judas amongst the 12 disciples in Jonah we see that the travelers on the ship that Jonah was on when he was going outside of God's will cast lots to deduce that it was Jonah's presence that had caused the violent storm that was threatening to kill them There's there's even a verse to, to back this up. It says in Proverbs 16, verse 33, that the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So I don't believe that anything happens to us just by chance. God orders our steps and he directs us in our lives. And the significance of using this method to choose who was going to occupy the city was that nobody had any influence over who was chosen to live there. So the selection of the people who were going to go and live in Jerusalem was not swayed by anyone's opinion of who was best equipped to go or any other human criteria. The decision was left to God. And it makes you think: What if they'd have done some other, used some other method to choose? What if they'd had a vote or some kind of of man-made scheme to decide who was going to live in the city? There would be some people for whom it would be um, advantageous to them, or um, because of their makeup, they would like that privilege of living in the capital city with the great and the good, and to feel like they were important or whatever if there were people that had already kind of made their money and they were quite well off then the um, shortcomings the, the problems that would be coming with living in the city wouldn't necessarily be a problem for them so they would, they would probably put themselves forward to go so we can see how one could imagine that the people could have skewed the selection one way or another based on their own personal preference but God didn't have it to be so And yes, there were challenges in coming to live in Jerusalem. As the verse um, in Nehemiah 7 said, there were no houses that were built at that time. So in order to live in the city, you had to kind of have a lot of a rethink, a restructure, a re-evaluation of your life. Those who would live in the city were giving up their plots of land their inheritance to come and live in Jerusalem so they were giving up their source of income they were giving up their friends and their family, their proximity to those people in their families who they previously would have lived amongst they were now going to have to move away they were moving into a place that was new Has anybody ever moved into a new building? (laughs) There's a lot of snags, aren't there? Sometimes when things are built, there's a lot of snags. It's a long process. It takes a long process before you can settle sometimes and call it home. And to live in the city, you have to live knowing that you were a target for the enemy. Jerusalem was then, as it is now, a focal point for um, conflict it was a focal point for this new fledgling developing nation or redeveloping nation and those who were opposed to the will of God were targeting the city so if you're going to live in the city you knew that there was a high um, likelihood that you were going to be involved in some kind of conflict So it was quite a daunting decision and it was one that if it was left for the people to choose, maybe not very many would take it up. Also it was the seat of spiritual and political leadership. It was the home of the temple, the seat of religious authority. And also, it is the seat of the king or his representatives and ambassadors. So, there was a higher level of scrutiny. So, some people would like to live in that kind of environment, but many don't or would not. And it was said in some studies, some people say that some of the reasons against living in the old Jerusalem are some of the reasons why some people shun of life that would lead them into the new. Jerusalem. Let's track back on those pointers. You have to maybe forego some of your material things. You have to rearrange social priorities. You have to endure hardship. You have to live life knowing that you're a target for the enemy and live life under a greater level of scrutiny. Any believers identify with any of those things? <laughs> yeah. But that is what we that is the consequence if you like of covenant life of living under the leadership of God of living a life that will lead us into the new Jerusalem so there are parallels between the lives that these people are living and the life that we live but having said all that God doesn't lead us where he cannot keep us. And despite the hardships that these pioneers would undoubtedly have faced, there was a blessing for their obedience. How many of us can testify and say that there is a blessing in obeying the will of God for our lives? There's a blessing. And it comes in all manner of ways. It says in the scripture that the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So as I believe it, this selection of one in ten was selecting families, the heads of families who would then go and populate the city with their wives and with their children. So the people blessed those who were selected to go and live in in the city. And this made me think about... um, about how we live amongst ourselves. And sometimes when we step out for God, we might be new to the faith, maybe you're launching into a new um, ministry, maybe you're stepping up in faith and moving on. When we step out for God in difficult circumstances, it makes it all the more easier when you've got support, when you've got people around you, who are supportive of you, who are encouraging and who care about you and consider you in what they are doing. Whether you're starting a new ministry or joining an existing one, might be being placed in a position of leadership, in all of these circumstances, the support of your peers and your fellow workers in ministry is invaluable so the Bible describes a blessing and it doesn't really go much further than that it just says um, that the people bless them but I would like to think that it went beyond just a God bless you and a friendly hug and a handshake and a I'll pray for you because those things are easy to do aren't they and sometimes they can be quite empty gestures if we're honest with ourselves but sometimes the blessing that you give to somebody should cost you something be your money, be it your time, be it your thoughts, whatever it might be. We should all be in the habit of being a blessing to our co-workers in the kingdom. And I'm going to challenge you guys, as I challenge myself. When was the last time we took time out to congratulate somebody on something that they did well, or to comment on their spiritual development, or how well they may have served, or to thank them for their visitation, whatever it might be. Can we be more innovative and, and think outside the box in the ways that we say thank you, or that I appreciate you? If you usually just say it, then why not next time send a text, or even a nice card, a personalized card? What about the offer of a meal or a genuine offer of support or even a commitment to work alongside somebody for the period of time? All that would come under the umbrella of blessing somebody. And sometimes it doesn't even cost very much. You know, a text message is more or less free nowadays or an email. But it can make all the difference. I still now reflect on conversations I had with people as a child that shaped me into the man that I am today. Probably didn't take longer than 10 minutes, but had an impact on my life. John 13 verses 34 to 35 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another and as I'm reading that I'm thinking if the love that we have for one another is going to be seen by people that are outside then it can't just be oh, I love that person in my heart and I never tell them or I never show them because nobody can see that give somebody something, show somebody love in a practical way that other people outside can see, see that and say wow I want a bit of that how, how is it that you care that way for somebody that you might not even be related to? Somebody that may even have done something wrong in the, in the past. You show forgiveness and you show love. That is what the Bible says will draw people to Christ. So the people were united in their commitment to serve God wholeheartedly and they were dedicated to seeing his plan and purpose fulfilled in the future of Jerusalem. How about in that clause, seeing God's plan and purpose fulfilled in the future of Jerusalem, we swap out Jerusalem and we put in our church. I'll read that again. The people are united in their commitment to serve God wholeheartedly and dedicated to seeing his plan and purpose fulfilled in the future of Harvest Temple imagine that not just going through the motions of of ministry not just turning up to church on a Sunday and going back and thinking doing that week in week out year in year out is okay you know we've done that we did that for many years and then all of a sudden we couldn't come and that was a massive eye opener for so many of us I believe not being able to come here on a Sunday okay in that context then how do I do ministry how do I do worship? How do I show that I'm a child of God and that I'm active in my, in my ministry, in my walk with him? How do I show that I'm committed to seeing God's plan and purpose fulfilled when I can't come into communion, into assembly with my brothers and sisters? It's got to go beyond just coming here on a Sunday morning. It's got to go beyond the rituals that we build and and then the kind of, um, we get stuck in a rut, don't we? As Nathan said, I'm really, really nicked it from um, Pastor Mark about the difference between a groove and a grave is the depth. Let's not get stuck into a groove, but rethink continually rethink about how it is that we serve God and serve each other. So as we go forward into um, chapter 11 and chapter 12, um, initially in chapter 11, after the first four verses, it begins to speak about the leaders who are already living in Jerusalem and leading by example. And for time's sake, I'm not going to go over all the names, but the way that they're listed, there's a significance to it. As it goes through in um, verses 4 to 9, it says the leaders of each house is identified not only by their name but by their genealogy. So it lists the person and then it lists their father and their father and their father and it's listing their their four bears and linking them to the tribes that they were a part of. So um, the people who are kind of living and serving um, at that time, are the descendants of Judah and Benjamin, the two sons of Jacob. So, when we read through those genealogies, we see different names, and that will make us um, think about the lives and the examples of the people that were in those family trees. And the verse, end of verse four, it mentions Perez and if you read Genesis 38 it talks about um, Perez and how he came to be I'm not going to go through the detail but it wasn't very nice and then when it mentions about the tribe of Benjamin we think about that tribe if you read about um, the tribe of Benjamin at the end of Judges they nearly got wiped out there was a civil war in the nation and the tribe was nearly wiped out completely they were involved in some of the darkest days of Israel's history where the country descended into civil war and outright idolatry and fell from the face of God. So the descendants of those people who fell or who had less than perfect beginnings, those people are now the leaders of the nation and they're critical in the restoration of the city and the shaping of the nation's future. And the point that I'm trying to get to with this is to say that your past does not disqualify you for being used for God's purpose. Yes, sin will have consequence, but God is faithful and is willing to restore those who are willing to repent and to return to him. So don't allow your past to hold you hostage. Don't allow your past to determine your future in God and how far you can go. What office you're able to hold. God doesn't hold your past against you. In Psalm 103 verses 8 to 12, it says that the Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So don't let your past hold you hostage. God loves you, and the fact that you are here means that he has a purpose and a plan for your life. I also note that um, in some of the verses, verse 6, verse 9, and verse 14, the sons of Perez and other, the city leaders and priests are described as being valiant men or men of valour so what that means in the scripture is that these guys were people who could fight they were ministers who could lay hands in more ways than one and they needed to be because as I said the city was still vulnerable still vulnerable to attack from outside and sometimes even within a vulnerable city needed valiant men and women to be on standby should they come under attack? Do we still have valiant men and women in our church? Do we still have people who are watching out for danger? Do we still have people who are spiritually engaged and looking out for what the enemy is trying to do and and praying against that? We need men of valour, women of valour in our midst, in our ministries. So along with this list of the leaders and the priests and their offices God is showing us through this word that there is order and there is provision when the people have a mind to work. So these people have been changed by the situation and the circumstance that they've been through they've answered the call they've come to rebuild the wall and as you read through Um, Verses 11 and 12, we see that there's provision for both inside and outside of the temple. Um, It talks about the worship leaders being provided for with a stipend from the king. All the musicians said amen. (laughs) So there's provision there. There's an overflow it says in verse 12 that some of the workers in the temple worked inside the house. And verse 16, it says others worked outside. So it's not necessarily ministry, it's not necessarily all about what happens up here or within these four walls. It's so important that we're as intentional about what happens outside of the church as what happens inside. And sometimes we get those priorities twisted, don't we? We think that everything that happens up here is the sum total of everything that we do as a church and everything else is kind of a, a, a side thing or, you know, it's not necessarily necessary. We don't necessarily say that those things, but the way that we treat them shows that we think that way sometimes. But there is so much need outside of the four walls there needs to be um, structure and willing workers in order to meet the needs of those who are outside of the walls. There's plenty to be done in a church outside of Sunday church worship. And just to mention a few of the ministries that we have here, um, we have food bank, we have a prison ministry, and we also have an evangelism team. so there is already established um, ministries that happen in Harvest Temple that meet the needs of outside but don't think if you are wanting to be involved in ministry that it's got to be something that is done from up here. That's not true. There's so much need outside that you can be involved with. Also when people see That their needs are being catered to. When everything is order and all facets of ministry and support for ministry is there, there's support from within the community, the people that we serve, and from outside. It says that the king was sowing into the ministry that was happening at the temple. It's important to note that ministry is dependent upon selfless giving. Ministry is dependent upon selfless giving. People give of their time, they give of their finance, they give of their resource. Even when Jesus ministered, the word says that he was supported by the women who supported his full-time ministry. God's got a way of supporting those who step out in faith to do his work. But there needs to be a culture of selfless giving in order for ministry to achieve everything that we would want it to achieve also as I said earlier when we read through this list of of people who occupy the city and those who are working in the temple as I said it speaks about those forebears, many of whom held the same offices in their time and we know that some of these offices were um, inherited as well um, through, for example, the Aaronic bloodline. So that speaks to impartation. As I said um, earlier, we can be instrumental and do great work in pouring into the lives of, of others in their walks in ministry. And I've been a beneficiary of that. And when I was kind of reflecting on this, um, I thought about the time that, as young children, uh, we spent um, not being here on a Sunday morning, but being taken by Dad to Sunday school in Pendiford, a few miles away from here. And Dad working so hard in the week, um, most times we wouldn't see him in the morning because he'd be gone by the time um, the sun had risen didn't come back till dark many times six days of the week on Sunday he would take us kids in the car from New Invention to Pendiford to teach us the word of God and some weeks God did, um, the car wouldn't work so we had to take the bus you can imagine from New Invention to Pendiford. It's a long way. <laughs> so we'd have to catch multiple buses. And Dad would then go out to the community and with the help of others, Sister Joanna Reed, Auntie Judd, the superintendent, Sister Lewis, and also, and also um, Pastor Lewis as well, and Reverend and Brother Hubert amongst others. They would um, take time. They would sacrifice their Sunday morning worship to teach these kids the word of God. And this took place over many years. Um, And some of those children have gone on to do great things. Some of them are in the body as well now. Some of them are Christians. And we give God thanks for that example of, of servant leadership. Thanks, Dad. So I stand here as a result of many others who took time to pour into my life and the lives of others through dedicated service. So God makes and calls every one of us on purpose and with purpose. God has called you on purpose and with purpose. So what are the good works? As Ephesians 2 says, what are the good works that God has prepared for you to do since time immemorial for you to walk in them? Is there somebody that you can pour into? Is there a ministry that God has placed on your heart to do that is going to bless somebody else and is going to lead to another generation of dedicated service? That's so important because we stand here and we assemble here because of those who sacrificed during their time to serve with dedication, to serve under God, relying on God's power to to encourage them and to, and to keep them going, even when things were tough. We are standing here as a result of God using those people faithfully over many years. We can think of some of the names, but some of the people we don't even know, we've never heard of them. Can you imagine that? Some of the people who served and built the, the, the kind of infrastructure that we can live in and worship in today, we don't even know their names. But God knows. So are we willing to do our part? Are we willing to say yes to God's will and God's purpose for our lives. Your yes today can make a fundamental difference in somebody else's tomorrow. The word says that in Hebrews 11, towards the end after the hall of fame of faith, in verse 16 it says, but as it is, they, the people of faith, Desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Because he has prepared for them a city. We've been studying about um, a city that, that men built with their hands under God. But it was built by man. But there is a city that God has built for us to walk into and if we're going to go there if we're going to be in the new Jerusalem firstly we have to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour who came to earth lived a perfect life came into the city riding on the donkey was led out of the city bearing a cross who died on a cross bearing our sin and our shame but after three days rose again to the glory of God the Father and has gone to prepare a city for us. And I'm conscious of the fact that there may be people in the house, there might be people on the stream who have not yet accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts and their lives. If that is you, please don't leave here without him. It's the best thing that you could do with your life is to give it back To the God who created you, who made you, who gave you purpose. He knows what to do with you. And sometimes we're so confused about how our lives are gonna pan out and what you know we're gonna do with ourselves. But God has a perfect plan for you, tailor-made for you. He's only asking that you would walk in it. If that's you. Please come and ask the worship leaders and the musicians to come. So while those of you might be thinking on that before we pray, I want to also um, give a invite to those who want to get involved in ministry but they don't know how, or feeling, or feeling the prompting of God to change the way that we've been going about our Christian walk, to be more selfless, maybe there's something specific that God's been calling you to do but you don't feel adequate enough you don't feel like you are enough you feel that there's too many obstacles in your way you might feel ashamed about something that's happened in the past let's pray together let's break some of those strongholds in Jesus name there's so many reasons why I shouldn't be here so many but God has seen fit to restore to break chains, to break strongholds, so that I can stand here and declare to you that God has made a difference in my life. God has restored me, forgiven me of my sin, cleansed me of my unrighteousness, changed the way that I think. Thank God for his mercy and his grace. So again, if that's you, you want to step out, you want to do something for the Lord, but you feel that, you're inadequate, you feel like there's something holding you back, the altar is open. As we sing this song, I give myself away so that you can use me. Hallelujah. Lord God, I thank you for today. Thank you, Lord God, for this time, Lord God, where we can search ourselves, search our hearts, Lord. Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, for the gift of this stream so that it can reach people in their homes, reach hearts and lives, Lord God, of people that we can't see. Lord God, I pray for those, Lord God, who are giving themselves over to you right now, to your purpose and to your plan in their life. I pray for those, Lord God, who are giving their hearts to you, Lord God. Hallelujah. I pray that you would, Lord God, put people around them, Lord God. May they make contact with us so that we know Lord God, hallelujah, that your word has gone forth and accomplished that for which it has been sent. That hearts and lives have been changed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah for Andrew and Tanasha here, standing at the altar right now. We thank you, God, for them. We thank you for the purpose and the giftings that you've placed in their lives. And right now, this morning, Lord God, as they stand before you, Hallelujah. We pray that you would begin to pour out of your spirit to the overflow. May those gifts, those talents, Lord God, that come from you, Lord God, and none other. May you cause them to flourish, Lord God. May people, Lord God, come and see and know through their lives that you are God, that there is no other. Hallelujah. And that, Lord God, you are calling men and women, Lord God, to yourself. Lord God, I pray for those, Lord God, who may be in this audience who are on the stream, Lord. Hallelujah. Who for some reason, whatever it might be, have felt like they've been held back from serving you wholeheartedly. Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that every chain be broken. Hallelujah. Let every stronghold be broken down in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord God, there are stories to be told of your goodness. There are accounts and eyewitness accounts, Lord God, hallelujah, of your power at work. Lord God, may tongues be loosed to declare your glory in this place. Hallelujah may books be written Lord God hallelujah whatever it is whatever form it takes songs whatever it might be Lord God hallelujah be glorified Lord God in this place through your people through your children hallelujah through your ministers and your leaders those Lord God who are in position those who have not yet been put into position Lord God be glorified hallelujah Jesus Hallelujah, rebuke the devourer for your name's sake. We will not be robbed. Hallelujah, and you will not be robbed of the glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the testimonies that are coming through in this place. Thank you, Lord God, for your care and keeping. Thank you, Lord God, for those who have been faithful in ministry, those who are still with us and those that have gone on before unto glory, to that beautiful city. Lord God, hallelujah when the roll is called up yonder, may our names be counted there. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.